Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glixman with my tag team partner, Matt Story. And it is the uh, the time to voice your strong opinions episode of the Ben and Matt Sportscast. Don't we do that? Isn't that every week? Yeah, but this is one where I think we... This is one of those, like, pet project type deals. Soapbox topics yeah. for the two of us. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, that's fair. So, ASU basketball returns tonight. Hopefully, it's yes. still four hours away or so. But Yeah, uh, see them back in action. Yeah, yeah. If that happens, they will be returning for the first time in a few weeks. And uh, we will talk about the state of that program at a later time after they've played some games. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's incomplete right now. But, yeah, hopefully we get a couple games in this weekend and get back in a little bit of a rhythm. Or, or a rhythm, since we were never really in one to start with. And right now, um, I think, you know, I think it's safe to say that, Matt, we're going to start on your favorite topic. Kind of, I guess. Uh, football is my favorite sport. Yeah. No about that. Yes, yes. I, I think that's been established over the last few years. I, I mean, I, I love the NFL and the NBA and golf and baseball, but... Uh, but yeah, college football is, is where my, where my heart resides if I had to choose just one. Yeah. So we are one game away from knowing our college football champion. Yep. 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 We've, we've gotten here and we uh, have a Heisman trophy winner. He's, we do. he's still we do. playing, which is we, fun. Uh, we saw him, we saw him in person last year in Tuscaloosa and, and it, we saw the third place finisher as well. So there you go. Yeah, you know, it's uh it's nice when our trips work out that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we definitely saw some talent on that team. I mean, they had what uh four or five first rounders last year and probably an, another batch of three or four at least this year and uh yeah, yeah, that's a that's a talented team that we saw. No doubt about that. And everyone can come back if they want because college football treats their players great. Matt, well, I don't your know thoughts. About that, but... <laughs> I mean, I, hey, look, I, I, I kind of like the, the one-year thing. I mean, it, it's interesting. I think, you know, that, that was um, done or, or passed, I think, you know, before we knew what kind of season we were going to have. And for a number of these guys, they ended up having, you know, most of a season. I mean, if you were in the Pac-12, I guess not. Um, but, you know, like there are guys coming back and you think, wow, they're just getting a, a you know, a sixth year or a fifth year. Um, you know. It's going to be interesting. The uh, the old college football player jokes will be flowing fast and furious between you and I, I'm sure, as as we watch guys next year who it feels like, God, have they been around for six years? And the <laughs> answer will be yes. Hey, have. lots of guys go to college for seven years, including <laughs> almost Brady White. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I know uh, James Skalski said today he's coming back to Clemson. So six years, he's got a chance to – Got a chance to win six conference titles in a row. That's uh, that's got to be unprecedented in college football. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing when you think yeah, about it. Yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where that all goes. Uh, you know, the 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 draft. I'm uh, what I'm anxious for is the draft declarations to hear that there was a record number of declarations for the draft. And be like, well, isn't everybody in the draft have to declare this year? Because technically, nobody's out of eligibility, right? Yeah. That's. That's a great point. Everyone so, has I mean, to declare. All two hundred and fifty-six guys, or whatever, that get picked are technically early entry declarations, right? I hadn't thought about that, but that's a hundred percent true. 
I mean, I would, I assume so. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, everyone has eligibility know. left. Right, right. So you gotta actually put your name in there, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what you, uh, you know, let's start quickly with, you know, semifinals. What you think? Were you surprised by the Ohio State Clemson result? I was. I so I'll admit I didn't. I didn't know what to think about Justin Fields. Yeah, he he's good. I I know he's good, but I I'm not a scout. I don't you know. I only know what yeah. I see. Gotcha. But yeah, the fact no, that he took that hit, came back to throw the touchdown pass, and then left the field again. Yeah. That that was reminiscent of Brett Favre in terms of like just a tough guy. Oh yeah. And it was it was, uh, it was football John Wayne moment, you know, like you know, guys, you know, lots of players have those, and and it was definitely his. Come in, throw a touchdown, go into the tent, come back, throw a couple more touchdowns. I mean, it, you know, it, it was it was impressive, no doubt. So I thought that was really something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they played great. They really did. Like he was, he was great. They played. They finally looked like the team that they were supposed to be yeah um you know they really like it had taken all year um but this is why they were in this is why they were in it is yeah it it validated the decision of of the committee and and the media members who pushed for them to still be in and the big 10 who changed the rules to get them a big 10 championship which i as, as i said i don't really have a huge problem with um because they earned that division title um, you know, I know Indiana was a little PO'd apparently to, you know, covered up the big 10 logo on their uniforms, uh, for the bowl hey, game. But, and you know what? You know, More power to them for doing it. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah, if you're yeah, mad, I mean, that seems like a, a fine I, I way agree, to express I your agree. displeasure. Uh, my, my problem, it's not really a problem, but my, my disagreement, I guess, with Indiana was like, I'd feel differently if they hadn't gotten a chance to play Ohio state. If, if one of Ohio state's canceled games was, was an Indiana game. And and then maybe they lost another game. Maybe they, they had lost to, I don't know, Penn State. They almost lost to Penn State at the start of the year. We'll just throw that one out there. And they were 6-1, and one, and Ohio State was 5-0. and oh, But, boy, if they'd had a chance to play them, they would have won the division. Then I would have thought, well, that seems cheap. But they lost to Ohio State. So I can see why the decision was made. And, and yeah, I mean, absolutely the – the, the pulling of the strings uh, to get Ohio State this opportunity was was more than validated by the way they played in the Sugar Bowl. Now, I I will acknowledge that my pro Cincinnati rant didn't <laughs> didn't totally bear itself out, but they made well, a, but they made a game of it, and you know what? Based on the the blowouts that we saw, I obviously right. Ohio State's you know. Ohio State's win and Clemson yeah. was never a, it was never a doubt that Clemson was going in. But if right, they had picked right. Cincinnati over Notre Dame, could, could we say that they wouldn't have been able to put up a similar showing? As no, I, I agree. I mean, I don't think anybody like I think this year was very much like last year. There were three teams that were clear of the field. Last year we had a clearer picture of that because everybody played full season. But you know, last year we had LSU and Clemson and Ohio State, and they all went undefeated, and then we had to pick a fourth, and Oklahoma got it because they won the Big 12, and they were, you know, summarily and quickly dismissed by LSU, and I think this year was kind of the same, like, I don't, I think Texas A&M, or Oklahoma, or Cincinnati would have probably had the same result against Alabama, which is to say they wouldn't have been all that competitive. Yeah. 
and I, I agree. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that they should have let Cincinnati in and they would have won or made it a game. But I just, you know, it, look, it's not fun to see Alabama Cincinnati. If Alabama beats the tar out of Ohio State, yeah. Clemson, or Notre Dame, ooh, that's exciting because those are it blue is. bloods. It is, yeah. But well, and that that leads us to where we where I wanted to go with this, and and you it's, you kind of led me to this. And let well, go ahead, finish your point. I don't want to I don't want to interrupt you. Well, I was just gonna say, but at least it would have been fun and different. And 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 for me, some of this is it's their one when it's a team's one chance. Mm-hmm. I wish that we would lean towards giving it to them. You know, UCF, yeah. the worst example is UCF. Who went undefeated and, yeah. and won their bowl game. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that's that's what, you know, I, I thought about, a couple, I think a couple weeks ago we talked about it, and you mentioned Cincinnati, and obviously Coastal was undefeated this year as well. And I, and, and I did, you know, in thinking about it, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on this. You know that. I mean, you you and I have been friends for quite a while now, and I, I used to be a big proponent of a 16-team playoff. And then lately I thought, well, four's enough. And and you, you know, not just you, but, you know, the conversation I had with you kind of, you know, made me think, like, the problem I guess I have with four, and, the, and it's just an inherent problem with only four teams, is that you're basically telling half of college football that they have no chance to win a championship, that that they can win all their games, um, and and it doesn't matter. And UCF is the perfect example because that was a full season; they played everybody. There's no like, oh, they had games canceled, blah blah blah. You know, they they played everybody, they beat everybody, and it just it wasn't enough. Um, and and I think the only way that could be addressed is expanding the playoff. Um, and then I guess then you start to question like, okay, how do you expand the playoff? And and I don't know that there's a great solution to that. Well, it's interesting, right? Because if you expand the playoff by four teams and make it eight, right, you can give an automatic bid to the Power Five schools and three at large. But mm-hmm. in a year like this, or really for the Pac-12 any year, but where mm-hmm. your where your conference champion is not your best team. Right, right. You know, and look, we do that in basketball, but basketball is different because your regular season champ is also probably going. Exactly. There's enough extra bids that if you have, you know, and, and you're exactly right. It's one of the things I've thought about with that notion of an automatic bid for conference champs. I mean, how often over the last several years have we seen, let's say, let's use the ACC because it's a great example, Clemson or Florida State win the Atlantic at eleven and one, twelve and zero, and they're playing somebody from the coastal who's eight and four. Yeah. And yeah, almost all those years, Clemson or Florida State has won the ACC title game. But what if they get upset? Mm-hmm. And and then you've got you know nine and four Pitt in the playoff. And yeah, I suppose you know if you did eight and you had three at large spots or two at large spots with with the auto, you know, because and that's I want to come back to that, but you know, group of five automatic bid. You could still potentially get an undo, you know, if Clemson had been 12-0, and 0, you could still get them in. Um, but yeah, but do then... You, do you want to take a spot with 9-4 with and four pit? Well, and that's, that's pit, the point. You know, just, yeah, it, yeah. You know, because when you look at... See, so one of the things, when I knew this was a topic, one of the things I thought of, and I just, logistically, I don't know how feasible this is, because I don't know the ins and outs of the non-Power 5 conferences, but... 
What if you made it an automatic bid for any undefeated team? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that almost sort of kind of goes with what I was thinking. And I know people wouldn't like this because people don't like the committee right now having too much power. But what if you said all five conferences got an automatic bid, but the committee gets to decide who gets that bid? Yeah. You know, and and so if you had the scenario I just laid out, Clemson played, I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop ripping Pitt. Uh, you know, Clemson played Duke um, and Duke was eight and four and they somehow beat 12 and 0 Clemson. Well, the committee could still say, well, you know what? That was probably just a, a fluke night. We're still going to take Clemson. Now people wouldn't like that. I, I can hear the moaning and wailing from here. Well, what, what's the point of having a conference title game? You take the loser. For TV money, but I have a... And getting the best teams. <laughs> well, you know, I, I also it. have a, a a variation on this. What if you left it to the conference to decide who to pick? To decide. And that's an interesting thought, too, yeah. Because yeah. then, uh, you know, the ACC, in that circumstance, is being pressured by Clemson to be right. like, look, pick us. Meanwhile, your, your you know, lesser champion is yeah. saying... Hey, we won. If they deserve to go, they'll get in that large bid, but yeah. we won. Yeah, yeah. And now another, I mean, another idea that sort of addresses this maybe is kind of do what the ACC did this year and eliminate divisions and just take your top two teams so that theoretically less chance you'd have a four or five loss team. I mean, we've seen it just in our own backyard here with the Pac-12. Uh, you know, Oregon, Stanford, Washington are all better yeah. than. The power has been in the North, and, and you know, a lot of years, the South champ has been a three- or four-loss team. And and so if you if you just took away divisions, now, again, you'd have to figure out a scheduling structure that was somewhat balanced, but it can be done. The ACC did it this year, and, and they had, you know, very little notice and 15 teams to do it with, and they managed to do it. You know, less likely that you're going to have a, a four-loss team make the conference championship game. If you, if you take just your top two teams, um, mm-hmm. you know, so if you had the Pac-12 and you had, you know, Oregon and Stanford were the best two teams and Oregon went 9-0 and and Stanford went 8-1, they, they play, you know, and who cares if they were in the same division? Don't even have divisions, basically. And just randomized schedules then? Kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not like when you have these mega conferences. Obviously, the Big 12 has been doing this. And they can do it because everybody plays everybody. And so you, you know, you have a round robin and your top two teams feel like legitimately your top two teams. And you have a natural Uh, tiebreaker. Right. Right. You know, and, and, but if you have 14, 15 teams as the ACC, SEC, Big Ten do, or even 12, like the Pac-12, you can't play everybody. So you got it. But couldn't you, you, if you got rid of conference games and jettisoned your bad people, you're not jettisoned. Non-conference. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could, but, and I don't, I don't hate that idea, but you know, whenever we talk about changes to college sports, I think you almost got to talk two different categories. What you'd love to see happen and what could actually happen. Yeah. And teams aren't getting rid of non-conference games. Like, I mean, the SEC coaches are, are chomping at the bit to get those, you know, four free wins back that they didn't have this year. Uh, you know, I mean, Gus Malzahn may not be fired now. I mean, nobody should feel bad for Gus Malzahn, but he might not have been fired if they'd had a normal schedule. 
they probably would have gone nine and three and been, well, it was a pretty good year. But instead, they played SEC only. They go six and four, and it's hit the road. Uh, you know, so I mean, I don't think that'll happen. You could do it, but but then again, I mean, fourteen team conference, you still couldn't. You still, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure the SEC would love to have thirteen games per and make more money, but they're not. Maybe that's do that. actually maybe that's what you do. If you're a 14 team, I, I have no answer for the yeah. 16, but you do that. You eliminate, you eliminate your conference title game and you say, we're playing round Robin. Round Robin. That's all we're Which doing. I, I don't mind. I mean, that's the truest way to determine a champ, but the SEC, for example, the SEC is the best example. They, you know, while part of me says, Hey, let's get rid of conference title games. Let's just pick the conference champion based on the season. I mean, the SEC, that's a, that's a gold mine for them. It's, well, it's, you know, I mean, everybody goes to Atlanta and, and they make big money off it, and they're not getting rid of it. Again, you know, those categories. Mm. Would I like to see it? Yes. Will it happen? Almost certainly no. Yeah, I agree it won't. They won't do it. But but I could make a convincing, at least in my head, pitch for, yeah, during conference title game, when you've got a four-loss yeah. USC team taking on Oregon yeah. or whatever, you've got the Iron Bowl and the Egg Bowl as counter-programming. True. True. I mean, you know, I, it is, um, and and again, competitively, I, I think very much you can make a better argument. I've made that argument for years about conference basketball tournaments, and and you know, you just mentioned like you know, all the time we see teams win conference basketball tournaments that they're not really the best team in the conference, but they got hot, you know, and, and especially in the smaller conferences. I mean, it, it kind of sucks for those conferences because the team could go eighteen and zero in the regular season lose one game in the tournament, and then it's, well, have fun in the NIT. You know, we're going to send the team that went 9-9 nine and nine but happened to upset somebody on the way, and they go to the NCAA tournament. Um, but that's, you know, again, it's all about the money, and, and the conference tournaments make a lot of money. Um, and, and so do conference title games. So I don't think they're going anywhere as much as I kind of would like to see them go somewhere. Yeah. Now, another idea I read, kind of getting getting back, and, and I read this today, ESPN had an article today about, you know, different, you know, different people saying what they would do with the playoffs. And it, it interested me because of the comparison they made. It, it sold me. Do you just, do you just basically separate the power five from the group of five and have two different divisions and two different tournaments? And the guy, I can't remember who it was. It might've been Kyle Bonagura who covers a lot of PAC 12 stuff made the point of like, it's kind of like high school football, you know, high school football, you have six, a five, a four, a three, a because a three, a team can't compete with a six, a team. We know this. That's why we have divisions. So do you just make, do you just basically turn FBS into two divisions and have two different champions? Well, it's going to really upset all the schools that moved up from the former one double a. It would, it <laughs> would. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I like it's, it's one of those that in a way it almost seems like, you know, you're kind of like, ah, well, let's just create a trophy for the for the little brothers who can't compete with the big brothers. But yeah. again, the selling point to me was, yeah, we do that all the time in high school football. I mean, you know, we 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 lived it at South Point. South Point was was in, you know, at times South Point's been. I mean, the year they won the state championship, we won the Division Two state championship. If we'd been in Division One, or if there were no divisions, we wouldn't have won. As good as that team was, it wasn't good enough to beat you know, Chandler or Hamilton or whoever was the powers that year. We've seen it with this open division thing. I mean, it's an interesting idea, but like, we're never going to win that open division very likely. 
we had an unbelievable team two years ago, and we still didn't have enough firepower. Yeah, we're a Final Four team. Yeah, which is okay, you know, but, so I don't know, I mean, like, because I've, I mean, again, in thinking about this, I thought, well, okay, the to me, the fairest way to do this would be to go to 16 teams, give every, con- all 10 conferences get an automatic bid, and then you have six at large spots. You should be able to get everybody reasonably who deserves to be in, in. But then, then the, the question is, do you, I mean, okay, basketball, we love our first round matchups of, you know, Duke versus Lehigh, but basketball's different. Do, do we really want a first round that's, you know, Alabama against Western Michigan and watch Alabama just roll up 55 points in the first half? And like, that's probably what they're going to do because football is, is not a sport that's really built for a crazy upset. It happens maybe once in a blue moon, but not that often. Yeah. I I think you can't I think you can't guarantee spots for teams that aren't gonna be competitive, but at the same time Exactly. You know, the the conference title winner could be uncompetitive. Right. It could, you know, and, and so then there's the argument of do you you know, you mentioned it earlier, do you go to eight? And, and most suggestions there seem to say, you know, okay, group of five, best team. Well, look at this year. How does one really choose? I mean, do we know for sure that Cincinnati was better than Coastal Carolina? I don't think we do. We think so. But how do we know? So what if you have two group of five teams that go undefeated? Or what if you have two that only have one loss? Because a lot of times those teams aren't going to go undefeated because they're going to have non-conference games against you know, the Big Ten and the SEC and the ACC and all that. Uh, how do you choose if they haven't played each other or if they're not even in the same conference? Well, okay. I have a proposal. Okay. You've now convinced me of, of a proposal. All right. Because every year there are at least a couple group of five teams ranked, right? Fair to say? Pretty much, I think, yeah. I mean, if we go back through the – what, seven years at this, I think, you know, there's always been at least one, and I think most years there's been two or three, yeah. yeah. Automatic bids for the Power 5 conferences, two group of five spots, and one at-large. Because right now, there's effectively one at-large spot for a team that doesn't win their conference anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting thought, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it, I, um, you know, I, I kind of like that because... I'll tell you, I mean, the, the idea of just one group of five, I feel like what you're going to end up just doing is creating a power six. It'll just be the American team every year. Because that's basically what it's been in in the, you know, New Year's six games. I mean, the first year was Boise State. And since then, six years, it's been five times the American winner. One time, and I think year three, it was Western Michigan when they went undefeated with, with Mr. Row the Boat. Um, but, you know, the American is considered probably fairly – better than the other four group of five conferences. And so aren't you just going to create just an automatic bid for them and tell the other four conferences tough luck? Well, but so that's why if you give them two. So your idea is intriguing for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, now I like it. But again, if we think practically, is the SEC going to go along with that? Is the ACC? I mean, do like the SEC has got to be looking at an 18 playoff and thinking, hey, we get three teams in, maybe four. Why not? You know, I mean, uh, we have a year where we get, you know, Alabama and LSU and Florida in. We get, you know, three-eighths up the pie. Are they going to go along with a deal that, that 
eliminates that possibility, I don't know that they would. But they get an extra. They get extra games with an eighteen. They do. They do. True. True. Uh, you know, I mean, it's. I don't know. I, there's there's a lot of different possibilities. I mean, I I kind of like I said, I kind of like the sixteen team idea. It kind of gets you sort of college basketballish. Every conference gets a winner. And then you're you're gonna be able to, or I should say, every conference gets a spot up for their winner, and then you're gonna be able to get the other teams in that are deserving. So if you have an SEC like this year with Alabama, A and M, and Florida, you can get all three teams in. Uh, maybe even Georgia, depending so, on you know what you think of them. But what if you did sixteen with two guaranteed Group of Five spots plus the Power Five? Does that does that buy in everyone? It might. It might, yeah. And, and yeah, you just I mean, have, and you have it be open seeding, so you don't have to, you know, you can be an at-large yeah. team and get the, you know, the two seed. So you I, see, I agree with that completely. You do seeding. You use the committee to, to determine seeding, just like you do in basketball. Maybe, maybe they don't totally determine who gets in like they do now, but I want, I want humans to determine the seeding. I don't want it to be, you know, top one through five or your conference champs now, because. Because I mean, yeah, how? I mean, how often are the are the five best teams in the nation all the five conference champions? Very rarely, you know. More often than not, the you know the Big Twelve or Pac twelve champ has not been viewed as as good as the second place team in the SEC or Big Ten, and, and they're probably not in many cases. Yeah. So you you get I like a, that you get a like setup then where your your two at larges are probably the fifteen and the sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Your group um, of five teams, you mean? Yeah. For that. Sorry, your two group of five teams. Yeah. And now then here's you have another a chance, thought. you know, where you have the years where you've got a number one Ohio State playing number two Michigan or a number one mm-hmm. Alabama playing a number two Georgia, mm-hmm. where they can still just be the one and the two. They can still both get in, yeah. I mean, another a, a, a kind of, you know, variation on your idea with the two group of five, you go to 12 and give your top four teams a bye, so you reward – you know, if you if you reward the very best, you tell Alabama and Clemson, hey, if you're the very best, you get a week off, and and you go to twelve with two group of five spots, five conference champs, and and then five at larges. I mean, that seems like a reasonable amount to not put in because somewhat with sixteen, part of me thinks you're going to end up with you know three and four lost teams that are being debated, and I just I'm not sure you need four lost teams being debated for a playoff. That's interesting. You go to twelve. You get. I mean, but this goes to the money question. Do they? Do the schools and the conferences want to buy? Well, yeah, true, true. I mean, unless you, you unless you just are splitting it twelve ways, totally based on how many teams get in, and I and I think you'd almost have to do that. Yeah. Now the other we haven't discussed this aspect at all, but I think any expansion, even to eight, almost has to be home fields for first round. Or second round, or, or first two rounds, if you go to twelve or sixteen, wouldn't you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just, I think, and so if you did, if you did the twelve, it's sort of the old, you know, NFL when they put twelve teams in. You'd have, you know, five through eight would get a home game, then one through four would be guaranteed a home game in the second round, mm-hmm. because you know, no matter who wins, you know, and maybe you do kind of like the NFL does, you you reseed after. So if twelve upsets five. 12 goes to play one, but if five beats 12, they go to play four, you know, so you take the, you know, you seed them again, basically, once they have the, you know, first round, 
and then nobody's hosting more than one game, but the top eight teams are all guaranteed to host a game. I mean, you know, I kind of honestly, it's something I never thought about until you said the thing about two group of five spots, and I'm thinking this seems to make sense, right? Yeah, you get enough representation in for the for the smaller conferences, but not too much. Because I just don't know if you want to. I mean, I, I don't mean to be like football snob, but you know, again, does the does the MAC champion really have any chance to beat Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State? Well, I mean, and I, you have a chance to get three, or like it's not sure, two only. Sure. If if you have a gang, if you had a a team. radical year where you had, you know, Louisiana and Boise State and Cincinnati were all undefeated, theoretically they could choose another one. Yeah, you have five at large spots to take whoever you want, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like the idea. I think let's let's put it in writing and send it to uh, Bill Hancock. Yeah. Oh, man, alive! I now, I other, think we should just make you the the commissioner of. <laughs> well, I wish. The NCAA. Man, I wish. If there's one, well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be the commissioner of the NCAA, but I'd be a. I'd be the college football commissioner if they were serious about that position. That'd be awesome. I mean, it probably wouldn't be. It'd probably come with a lot of headaches and annoyances and things like that. But you You'd know, get to go I, to all the games you wanted. I would. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. First class tickets and all that good stuff. But, uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like that idea. Now they, you know, of course, then the, um, the discussion that you'd have to have then is what becomes of the bowl games. Do you, you know, do the bowl games just take everybody from, I mean, even if you only go to eight, the bowl games just become nine on down. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Well, and look, I mean, we've I, learned from this from this year that a half a dozen of these bowl games or more can go and not really true. Not really. Anybody notices. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, one thing I found fascinating this year because I, I, you know, I read a lot of things and thought about it, you know, and how, how the, you know, change in feeling about bowls and guys opting out and teams opting out and all that was you saw almost no uh, group of five teams opt out of a bowl game. I think Boise State did, and I think San Diego State did. But that's it. But you saw a bevy of Pac-12, ACC, Big Ten uh, that, that said no thanks. And, and it just, it's just it's interesting. I don't know. Like it, The only thing I can think is that for, for group of five teams, bowl games are what they used to be for everybody, which is a showcase. You know, you're, you're on TV. You're on, you know, ESPN. And you're not usually in that realm. And so the teams like Appalachian State, they can't wait to go to a bowl game because it's a chance to, you know, show off to the nation, basically. Yeah. Whereas if you're in the SEC, you've got 13 of those already or 12 of those already every year. Every game's on national TV now. Yeah. Ugh. I I think I think you're going to just have to dump out the bottom bowl games. and, and I mean, I, I, I think that's – and, and – you know, like, I don't know that anybody I, would really have a fit, right? I, I mean, I'm and, sighing about it as if I, like, as if our plan is in motion already. We're, well, okay, so I we're mean, going I, to 12, so what do we do? I of this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just sitting here like, oh, oh you know, man, just, what are we going to do with these bulls? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you can dump out the bottom bowl games, and I don't think, honestly, anybody would be that, you know, distraught. 
here's the here's the thing that people won't love, and I'm going to say people, uh, you know, networks and 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 really the bull ops themselves. Does the so let's say we do this twelve thing. Does the Rose Bowl continue to carry on Big Ten, Pac-12, but they're taking the third-place Pac-12 team against the fourth-place Big Ten team? And is that is that sexy enough for the Rose Bowl? You know, and, or do we care? I mean, well, to be quite honest, I do the Rose Bowl, tough luck. Take it or leave it. I don't think we care. Or you, you call the Rose Bowl special, and you say yeah. it's always in the – remember the old, you know – the first yeah. proposal was they were always in the rotation. They got one right. of the three games. Right, right, yeah. So you yeah, just I mean, say, you're you're special. We're all special eh. and unique, except the Rose Bowl's <laughs> more special. And they get they get all the games they want. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm singling out the Rose Bowl, but, you know, the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the, the, the Cotton the, Bowl. I mean, let's these, be honest, the Fiesta Bowl is who gets left out. The, the Fiesta Bowl and the Peach Bowl would be the most likely to, to you know, yeah. But, but those are the ones that, I mean, like, honestly, if the Fiesta Bowl was... I don't know, you know, Oklahoma State versus who cares? Oregon. Like, <laughs> okay, it's, it, you know, I'm just picking a team. It's like, okay, but but the the rose, the sugar, the orange, those are probably the ones that have the most history and the most, you know, they've been around the longest. Uh, you know, the most cachet. Um, you know, is everybody on board with the Orange Bowl and the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl being, you know, basically teams somewhere that are in the teens and 20s when it comes to national rankings what well, I, I am i yeah. don't have a problem with it but you know is that is that going to be agreeable to everybody essentially when we abandoned the big 10 pac 10 championship which was the bread and butter right. of that bowl game for 70 years yeah yeah or whatever not 70 40 a long time yeah it's like yeah. okay well then i guess it's all out the door you know i, mean, I feel I like i'm you. uh i feel like i'm tim robbins when he was the president, would you miss it? Would you? Would you? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. I think I think for people like you and I, people of the West and Midwest, the Rose Bowl is something that we probably would miss. Like if the Rose Bowl was... was Became the Sun Bowl? Yes, we would probably miss it. But if you're from SEC or ACC country, do you care about the Rose Bowl? I'm not sure you really do. And, and, it, and you know, do they care? I mean, like the Sugar Bowl... It has cachet because it's the Sugar Bowl, but does it really matter that much? I mean, you know, the Sugar Bowl this year was semifinal, so yeah. But the last two years, George has gone to the Sugar Bowl, and they've basically been disinterested in it because they weren't in the playoff. It was a disappointment to go to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, you know, the Orange Bowl isn't at all what it used to be. It's not even at the stadium it used to be. Um, you know, now it's just played in a in an NFL stadium. Well, it's no similar, real... to, similar to the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, exactly. It's not at the stadium either. Yeah, so um, I mean, again, I'm I'm okay with it. Like, I mean, I read. I think it was Stuart Mandel made a really good point. I read one of his mailbags on uh, the Athletic, and somebody sent him something about how the bowl games have changed and things used to be so much better. And I can't remember the exact wording, but he basically said like, no, no sport does. You know, things used to be so much better back in the day than college football. Uh, you know, we romanticize the past a lot about college. Oh, it was so much better when it's like, eh, is it really? I don't, I don't think so. It had its problems then; it has its problems now. Um, but you know, I, like I'm okay with it now. I mean, the we go a step further here. Do you continue to have the semifinals be at bowl games? I don't really think you need to. 
I'd have him at home field. If it was up to me. Yeah, it, it's an interesting question. Does it generate more value to the schools to have a bowl game or I mean, I, to have a home game? I, and I don't know about financial. I mean, I guess I don't. I don't know about that. I would have to think a home game would. I mean, let's say you're Alabama. Be, we're using them because more often than not, they'll probably one of the be top in four that. teams. Yeah, you know, at least the last few years, the last decade or so. Um, you know, like you could have a game at, at Bryant Denny and put, you know, seventy five thousand of your fans in the stands, and maybe give you know the opponent five to ten thousand tickets. Um, you get the parking. You, you get, get yeah. You get the parking, concessions. You get local economy. You know, I mean, just just in general, you got people coming to your place. Uh, you know, the restaurants and hotels and things like that. And plus, I mean, just the atmosphere. Like, a, like you know, look, I've, I've the Rose Bowl's a different story. The Rose Bowl has an incredible atmosphere. But you know, I've I've gone to I went to the Cotton Bowl two years ago, and it was fun. It was really fun. It was a cool. It was a cool atmosphere. But there's no doubt the atmosphere at Notre Dame Stadium is better. Or well, and it you know, feels or Death Valley is better when and you are- when you watch the new games at the new places, and I think it applies to all you know pretty much mm-hmm. all of them. The mm-hmm. Rose Bowl's in its original spot, and the Sugar Bowl is effectively in its original spot. Uh, yeah, at least for a long time. Yeah, it's been there. Yeah, but everything else is new, and so it feels very cookie cutter. Like it does. the Rose Bowl being played at AT&T this year felt like a, any game. other game. Yes. And, and yes. when you look at it, other than the logo in the middle of the field, the difference between the Peach Bowl and the Cotton Bowl is Boy, negligible. It's funny that you say those two because those are the two I was thinking. As you started, well, because it's a new stadium. It's very yeah. nice. It's very, very well nice. lit. Yes. But yes. it's the same. They're the but, same yeah, place. Yeah, I mean. I have to, you know, this year, as we were talking about this, I had to stop and think, okay, the Peach Bowl was Georgia, right? And Oklahoma was the Cotton Bowl. And it was, but but yeah, I mean, it wasn't like I really thought, you know, and I mean, Miami makes a difference because it's outdoors. Um, And for me, at least, you know, because I've I've spent so much time there over the years when I was working there, uh, you know, the Fiesta Bowl. But I bet you if you're anybody else, you probably think the Fiesta Bowl is just another Cotton Bowl or Peach Bowl. It's just another indoor NFL stadium. It doesn't doesn't really jump out at you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. I mean, there's no... You know, again, the Orange Bowl has some feel because it's Miami and it's outside, but that's not like it used to be. I mean, the old Orange Bowl Stadium had that, that place rocked, and you know, it had some charm to it. And I mean, I know they've done some work on the on the Dolphin Stadium, whatever it's called now, Hard Rock, I think. Um, and it, it's nicer than it used to be, but it's you know, ultimately, it's just an NFL stadium where they play a college game. Yeah. So yeah, I I agree. I mean, I I don't know. I think the the charm of those games has gone away and, and certainly the, you know, just the meaning of them. I mean, we saw it with Florida this year. Florida did, didn't really care to be there. Um, you know, they showed up, but you could tell. I mean, you know, they had a lot of players that didn't play and then the players that were there kind of went through the motions. Um, you know, and, and, and that's supposed to be one of the premier games. So why would you get excited about the, you know, whatever it is called here now, the guaranteed rate bowl, 
if you're not even excited about the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. Well, and I'm not. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's the thing. But people watch them, and that's why they exist. Uh, you know, I mean, they are they are great entertainment for the casual watch. I think we talked about the. You know, they're the. You know, you just put them on. It's it's between Christmas and New Year's. A lot of TV shows aren't on that are normally on. You pop on a football game. Maybe you place some bets on them. You know, let's not ignore the gambling. Uh, um, you know, people effect. love to gamble. Yeah, you know, I mean, like people, uh, and they and they don't need to know anything about it. People will, you know, and as sports gambling has become more and more and more accepted, like shockingly more accepted, if you think back to just a few years ago when it was so taboo. Um, you know, I mean, if people turn on, you know, Army West Virginia on New Year's Eve, and it's uh, yeah, I'll throw down some money on, you know, Army minus three. Why not? I love those kids. They couldn't tell you a player's name on Army, but they'll they'll bet on them because eh, why not? Yeah. Oh, I don't know, man. I don't think we solved it, but I feel like we got closer. I think we got closer. I think if people were listening to us, our our twelve team idea has promise. I think it really does. I, I like it a lot. And and what I like about it, I think, even more is that I didn't go into it even thinking about it. But just we just workshopped some ideas, and I think we arrived at a good place. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the other okay. pet, pet project. This, is, this pet. is more your your avenue, but I, I enjoy it, too. Make no mistake. So Baseball Hall of Fame voting... Uh, has concluded, but we haven't announced who's in. Right. Uh, End of the month, right? Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah. The uh, the Twitter handle, not Mr. Tibbs, Ryan Thibodeau, does the public ballot tracking plus anonymous ballot tracking. Right. Uh, right now we're at 125 known ballots are out. So roughly okay. a third of the field. Okay. No one, zero people are currently on pace to get in interesting i didn't realize that and generally speaking the late ballots the the not previewed ballots Mm -hmm. and the private ballots people do worse for example and this is all all these stats are from him so it's not i i didn't do any work i'm just reading this (laughs) gotcha last year barry bond's actual final percent was 60.7%, which was 10% lower than the early ballots and 21% lower on private ballots compared to public ballots. Interesting. Clemens, Interesting. Yeah. Clemens dropped 9%. Scott Rowland dropped 12 Kurt Schilling dropped 7 And it goes on from there. So yeah. you get the idea that, that the public ballots are the most inclusive of our balloting. Yeah. And yeah, no one which, is there. The closest is Bonds. Bonds really? Bonds right now is at 74.4%. Okay. What about Schilling? Kurt Schilling is at 72.8%. Okay. Because wasn't he really close last year? He was really close. His public he was balloting. The first yeah. Miss, at least. Yeah. His public balloting last year was 70%. Or no, his okay. total balloting last year was 70%. 70. Okay. Um, and is this his last year on the ballot? No, he, Clemens, and Bonds are all year nine, as okay. is Sammy okay. Sosa, okay. who, if you were wondering, is not has close. almost no chance. Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Okay. But, but I mean, I know Schilling was thought to be. I mean, after last year, he you know, was the, the he was the out, next logical guy. It was. It was. And I, and now I've I've I read somebody, and I I wish I could remember who made an interesting point that the fact that there was actually no induction last year, which means the induction this year is you know Jeter and whoever else I can't remember who else, but you know you've got an induction could make it more likely for for people to not vote for you know there's there's not an incentive that hey we got to get somebody in we got to you know we got to vote enough of the you know and i mean and not to sound conspiratorialist but you know you feel like well we we need to have a class so enough people vote for a guy and push him up this year they don't have that incentive because they've already got somebody the so one of the nice things about the spreadsheet that uh, Ryan Thibodeau puts together mm-hmm. is he tells you their their net plus minus on returning voters. Okay. So for example, Bonds is even. Clemens yeah. is a net negative one. Schilling is a net negative two on returning mm. voters. Interesting. You know, and and there are others who have you know net negatives, but but yeah. Bonds is even. The big gainers this year, Todd Helton has picked up 24 votes. He's currently at 55%, comfortably going to remain on the ballot. Sure, sure. Scott Rowland picked up 19 votes. He's at 68%, which puts him in the range to get in at some point, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then the other guy who's picked up a lot of votes in his sixth year of eligibility is Billy Wagner, who's picked up 16 votes. He's now over the 50% threshold, which he was not really that close to. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are your? I mean, what are your thoughts on those three guys? Yay or nay? Well, you vote I, for I so I have one more guy, which is okay. Andrew Jones. Well, I, I knew 15. we were going to get to him. Yes, okay. but on these okay. on these three, Todd Helton. Ooh, he played at Coors Field. Todd Helton hit. And that guy hit everywhere. It's not like his splits were, you know, he was hitting 800 at Coors Field and couldn't make contact elsewhere. The the guy could hit. So I I have no problem with him being in. Yeah. I think Scott Rowland is in. So I've pulled up Scott Rowland's stats because I thought we might get here. Rookie of the year, seven-time All-Star, eight-time Gold Glover. He won a Silver Slugger. 70 career war. This is off baseball reference. 70 career war. But for your for your me and you stats, 316 homers, 281 average, over 2000 hits, and gold glove defense from yeah. you know, from his second full year in the league to his second to last full year in the league. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, lack of postseason uh, you know, like specifically to him postseason, right. but his he one was not on the Phillies that won the World Series was he? he no, was he was yeah. not. But he was on the Cardinals World Series team in two thousand six. Okay. okay, and he hit four twenty one that series. Wow! In five okay. games. Okay. Um. So, I think he should be in. Now, I I think we've talked about this before, but I am a the Hall of Fame is a museum. Sure. There's nothing. There's no reason not to put these guys in, guy. Okay. Uh, me too. A hundred percent. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm well on the record of that. Agreeing with you on that. 
So I think he's in. Billy Wagner, to me, is an interesting case. And, and he came out with a quote that I appreciated where he said, you know, the reason he retired was to spend more time with family. And if not pitching another 100 innings is what costs him being mm-hmm. in the Hall of Fame, he would take it. Because Live with it. Yeah. Yeah. In, his last year in 2010 with the Braves, he had a 143 ERA. He saved 37 games. He also wow. had seven wins out of the bullpen. Yeah. And, and was an all-star. I would not have guessed that uh, based on memory alone. For his career, other than just an implosion season in Houston in, in yeah. 2000, never had an ERA over three, ever. Yeah. Um, the the Houston season, to be clear, this this season was abnormal, and it was the year he got hurt. He, had a, he pitched only right. in 28 games and had an ERA over six. Wow. Okay. Okay. But, but every you know, other year, yeah. But every yeah. other year, two eighty-five or lower on the ERA. He yeah. wound up with four hundred and twenty-two saves, so not close to the Rivera six hundred no, level. No, a lot. But yeah, but yeah, a lot yeah. of yeah. saves. Yeah, yeah. You know, a a multi- be good for a long time to put that many numbers yeah. up. You know, so yeah. Seven-time All Star, Rolaids Relief Man of the Year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm, not I'm, not any lengthy postseason record to speak of, but no, not not a ton in his control. Agreed, agreed. I mean, I, I always that's that's such a tough barometer for baseball people to to have it held against them. Let's say that. I mean, I think it's I think it's a feather in your cap when you've got the you know postseason resume. But first of all, for for most of the guys we're talking about, they're of an era that it was harder to get in the postseason. We got to keep that in mind. You know, it was it was what eight teams that got in the postseason during Wagner's career, right? Three division winners and one wild card for most of his time. So it's tough to even make it, and then you could be bounced in a in a three game series, you know, three games or five, you know, five total games. I, you know, I, I hate to hold that against him too much. So for me, then, because I share your similar views, and he's you know. He never finished better than fourth in the Cy Young voting. He finished fourth yeah. once and sixth once. But, but that's tough. I mean, the Cy Young has always been... It's a starter's least, award unless you're starters Eric Gagne or recently. Raleigh That Fingers. may change as, yeah. we, as, as pitching is changing. But, you know, the, the era that Billy Wagner pitched in, it was a starter's award. You know, you had almost every year you had somebody win 20-plus games. And, you know, those guys would be the guys you debated for the Cy Young. Yeah. The, the one moderately new stat that I think is easy to understand for Billy Wagner, a career whip of under one. Yeah. So he averaged yeah. not quite allowing a base runner in inning. That's, uh, yeah, That's, I mean, I think, I think based on, I mean, your numbers on Roland were persuasive. I just, uh, just judgment call, I just, I don't think of Scott Roland as a Hall of Famer. I, I'm not just. I'm not arguing against any of the stats you said, and I and I'm not arguing, you know, that that he stinks or anything. I just didn't. Now, I you know, for me, Todd Helton, I'm I'm in agreement with you. Like Todd Helton was one of those guys that, you know, for a decade, you you know, he was just plugged into the middle of the lineup, and you knew he was going to hit 300 plus, and he was going to hit for power, and I, you know, and and Billy Wagner was one of the best closers in the game during the you know what late 90s to most of the 2000s yes um so i'm more on board with them roland is one of those guys that you're right he's probably gonna get in 
and maybe I just didn't appreciate how good he was. I mean, I, it could be just, you know, my own, not necessarily bias against him, but just, just one of those that, you know, like for me, he was always one of those guys who was good, but I never thought of him as great. Well, you know, part, of, part of Roland's problem, I think, for fans like you and me yeah. are Phillies, Cardinals, Blue Jays, Reds. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, he just didn't play for anybody who you're he like, yeah. wow, yeah. What? look at his contributions. Yeah. You know, no one liked those Cardinals teams unless you were a Cardinals <laughs> fan. I certainly didn't. And, yeah. he, you know, yeah. and he was just part of that group. The, the, the thing for me with Scott Rowland also is he, for his career, I have in my head that he was this injury-plagued guy, right? Right, right, but, me too. But he played, so... 97 was his first full year. He got, you know, a month the year before. But okay, in 97, okay. 156 games. 98, 160. 2001, 151. 2002, 155. 2003, 154. 2004, 142. 2006, 142. But the wow. problem is, the other years, it's like 55 in 2002. Yeah. 56 yeah. in 2005. <laughs> eight, you yeah. Know, eight, yeah, I mean... That's interesting because I, I would say I kind of remember that too. That he seemed like a guy who was injured a lot, or at least had you know significant injuries. And you shouldn't hold that against somebody, but you know, the, well, the more it, you play, the, the more resume you can put on file, basically. Well, no. and it impacts his counting numbers. You know, sure. he averaged in a in a hundred and sixty two game season, he was averaging twenty five homers a year. Yeah, but yeah. there were so many years where he wasn't close to that. Right. Well, and, and I'm still old school when it comes to stats. I'll admit. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I don't reject the the new stats, but you know, I still look at home runs and batting average, and you know, those type of stats. And, and I think, didn't you say his home runs were what three hundred something? Three sixteen. He hit two eighty one. Yeah. The the great. the argument for him, and the reason why I kind of have to to step up for him. Yeah, is because the guy who is my new Jack Morris, the guy who I think is just yeah. not appreciated enough is Andrew yeah. Jones. And Andrew Jones statistically is not as good as Scott Rowland, right. but you know, but it he depends hits. on what stats you look at cuz he's yeah. a 10-time gold glover, he hit over yeah. 430 home runs, yeah. but he only hit yeah. 254 and the end of his career, if you thought the end of Roland's career was a it bumpy tailed. ride. Yeah. I mean, from, yeah. from going, you know, his, if, if he had stopped playing at age 30 with the Braves, I think he's in and I don't think it's close Probably. because all Probably. 10 of his gold gloves happened by then. Yeah. The next, yeah. you know, the next five years, it's 75 games with the Dodgers, 82 games with the Rangers, 107 games with the White Sox, and then two years with the Yankees. Never Man, cracking are, 100 games. I'll be honest. If you had asked me before listing those teams to list the teams that he played for after the Braves, I maybe would have gotten one. And I think it would have been the Yankees. Me too. Because he uh, ended yeah. with the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, see, yeah. to me, Andrew Jones is a Brave. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, and, and he, so I'll, I'll admit bias here. He benefits, in my mind, from the TBS Braves deal. That was, you know, now he didn't, he wasn't there, you know, all those years. But the Braves were really good every year, and they were on TBS almost every night when we Ooh. were kids. 
Well, and, they, and I watched a ton of Braves baseball. I remember him coming up as a rookie mm-hmm. and being the, you know, the wonder kid prospect when the, in that World Series. And, you know, so yeah, for me, his name resonates more because of the Braves. I mean, I'll admit the bias there. He's got that, you know, I, I watched him play a lot more. Well, and the other piece with him, for me, I first, I completely agree with you. The fact that you saw him play. Yes. But he also... And this is one of those, like, subjective things that, you know, you can't really account for, and it doesn't really mean anything. He looked like a guy who liked playing. He did. You know, with the basket catches and the... Yeah. You know, he's the the only player who comes close in my mind. So there's, like, when I think of a center fielder, it's Ken Griffey Jr. That is yeah. the center fielder of my of my life, of my yeah. childhood. That's who I yeah. think of as like the prototypical center fielder. After that, it's him and Torrey Hunter are yeah, the two guys right. who I think of as like the guys who prowled center field the best. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, like, uh, yeah, there's just, there's something about i mean I, I again i probably saw him play more games than even ken griffey jr i mean he was on espn a lot but you know like i i was more exposed to the braves um i mean the cubs got that too but the cubs weren't good back then and so you know you watch the braves and you thought oh, these guys are good and andrew jones was one of their best players and you know i mean i could i can close my eyes and and you know picture you know skip carry on drew jones i mean you know like it's just it's part of part of my childhood basically so i'm uh i'm with you i don't know if i should be (laughs) like i mean i i I don't know if i if like objectively i'd say is he a hall of famer i don't know um but you're right i mean the the first what two-thirds of his career well, Make and here's it pretty clear he might have been, but then he, yeah, here's the, you know, the, the tail off at the end. Here's the problem because if he had been Sandy Koufax, he'd right. be in because right. I. So I've isolated his 1997 to 2007 Braves career. He played okay. at age 19. He played 31 games. I'm not including that, but the rest of his Braves career, and yeah. you compare that to his overall numbers. This is when he won all of his gold gloves. This is when he appeared in all of his all-star games. This is where he got the majority. I, you know, he ended his career with only 1,933 hits, but he got 1,660 of it during that stretch. Wow. You know? Yeah. And it's, when you look at it, he played 1,730 games during that time period. Okay. For the rest of his career, he Barely got another 400 games wow. of his non-Braves wow. career, yeah. and that's across five more years. Yeah. I mean, the five years yeah. after the Braves, he didn't get to 400 games. So we're looking at less than 80 games a year on average? Uh, it was 75, 82, 107, 77, 94. Okay, so probably a little more than 80, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, that's, that's looking at like basically half seasons, essentially, for the for those years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Where's he? So you're looking at the polling numbers on these ballots. Where does he fall in? So he's at 44%, but he's picked yeah. up 15 votes Okay. this year. And so what year is he on? I mean, he's, he's, he's on year be... four. So on year four. Oh, okay. Wow. So okay. Helton's on year three. Jones is on year four. Roland's on year four. Okay. Billy okay. Wagner's on year six. 
So Todd Helton, you'd say the trajectory looks pretty good for him, I guess. Yeah. As you I, said, he was one of the biggest biggest movers, it seemed like, I, right? He picked up the most votes so far. He is a net yeah. plus 24 on yeah. gained votes from yeah. returning voters. And I, I would, I mean, of those guys we just talked about, those four, I think Todd Helton is, is your, I shouldn't say your, my Runaway favorite choice of, of like, okay, if you said I could only have one of these four, who's, who's the best player? Todd Helton would be my pick. Yeah, well, and the the offensive numbers would generally bear that out. 369 homers. Yeah. 2,500 hits. Hit 316 for his career. You know, multiple times. pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, five-time All-Star. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Won a batting title. Three-time Gold yeah. Glover. Four-time Silver Slugger. And I know people say, well, he won the batting title in Coors Field. He hit 372 that year. Yeah, but, you know. yeah. I mean, that, now I know we've we've devalued batting average, but that seems like one of those stats that's going to get more impressive as time goes on. We, You know, like we talk about that with football and guys who've run for, you know, 14,000 yards, and it's like, wow, that's really impressive because guys aren't doing that anymore. The, uh, a 310-plus career batting average is one of those that I feel like as time goes on, we're going to look and think, wow, that guy was really a hitter. Yeah. Because guys just don't hit like that anymore. Well, so here's here's a comparison, and this is he's not Tony Gwynn, and I'm not comparing him no, to Tony Gwynn, but no. for the for that 11 year run for Andrew Jones, he struck out over a, a hundred or more times every single year. In Todd wow. Helton's 17 year career with the Braves, he struck out a hundred times once. Wow! Wow! Yeah, I mean, I would I would say like. Helton, I mean, again, if you just do the, the, you know, not the eye test, but the just the quick subjective, is this guy a Hall of Famer during his career? I would have said yes for him. Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's one of those guys that as he was playing, if you said, you know, is that guy going to end up in the Hall of Fame? Sure. If you'd asked me that about Scott Rowland or Andrew Jones, I probably would have said no. Now, again, some of that's unfair. We probably, you know, it's, it's harder to measure defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, gold gloves tell us something, but but so many years that, you know, gold gloves are just based on rep too. you know, guys get, I mean, that have been extreme examples. What did Paul Barrow one year got a yeah. gold glove for first base and he played like 20 games there, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, some of that, like it's, it's watered down the meaning of that award. And I know there's now all these advanced stats that tell us things, but, but back then we didn't have those stats. And so if you were good on defense, it was like, Oh, he's good on defense. And you didn't really have numbers to measure that much. It's just, you know, he's good. Um, offense obviously always kind of wins the day and you know when you when you look at numbers you know oh that guy hit 316 like wow that tells you something um you know andrew jones is good in center field like okay what is you know how do i measure that it's it's harder to do one thing that is interesting about helton's career is he's only a five-time all-star not that that matters that is surprising but it's it's more than that it's a shockingly low number you know, yeah, a, yeah. A, like Billy Wagner was a seven-time All-Star. Yeah, uh, I mean, Scott Rowland seven times. Yeah, yeah, and I guess you know it'd be one of those that it'd be interesting to like go back and look at the years he didn't make it. Who were the first baseman in the NL that did? Was that a? I, don't, I honestly, I mean, I couldn't tell you off off memory. Was that just a loaded position in that well, era? My guess is was it, it just, was Pujols because it well, he, yeah, he went to the he was lot, the yeah. All-Star. 2000 yeah. to 2004, and yeah. and my guess is the NL All Star first baseman starting in 2005 
was probably Pujols a lot. Yeah, that's 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 true. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a that's always a, a you would think generally that's a loaded position in both leagues. You get power hitters at first base. You, you know, uh, that's you know where where a lot of your stars are. Uh, so that's interesting. Though I would have guessed more than that. Um, so here, here's the I, I'll run it through for you at least okay. on the starters. Okay, Derek Lee, Pujols, Fielder, Berkman, Pujols. Pujols, Fielder, Votto. Mm, wow. Okay. So let's start getting into some. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's, his last year was 2013, and that was Votto again. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess it's just it's again sometimes the Hall of Fame thing in any sport. To me, I think it like you can look at a lot of numbers, and numbers will tell you a lot. But I always try to just go with my gut. You know, what is my gut feeling on a guy? Um, the numbers I'll use to sort of back up my point, maybe one way or the other, but you know, and, and my gut feeling says Todd Helton was a hall of fame player, you know, now probably a little bit of bias because he played in the NL West and, you know, so I was more exposed to not necessarily seeing him in person, but you know, Diamondbacks here, they're playing the Diamondbacks a lot. Diamondbacks are playing there. You know, I always followed the Dodgers. So I, you know, you got a lot of Todd Helton exposure growing up in Arizona, um, but, and, and also, I mean, geez, for a while there, they were spring training in Tucson when mm-hmm. we were there and, you know, he was part of that. So even more so. So again, I mean, your, your biases always play a part, no doubt. Um, but I, I would probably vote yay on him. Of course, you know, you know, I would, I would vote for Bonds and Clemens above all else in yeah. this group. And I'm well, um, and I'm skipping the discussion of Bonds, Clemens, yeah, and, and like, before. there's a different I mean, tier for everybody. Again, but, Kurt Schilling's a jerk, but he's his on-field performance is Hall of Fame. I would, so, I would, you know, I mean, And I, then I you think know, there's a there's a different line for Clemens and Bonds, which is strongly yes. suspected. Yes, you know, but to different quote stripes, but I would never I would convicted. Vote for them too. Never yes, convicted. Exactly. Sammy exactly. Sosa was convicted. He was. I would vote for Sammy Sosa too. Yeah, I mean, and to I me, think I'm, th- I'm I'm all in favor of all of them getting in if they, you know, if they had the careers to deserve it, basically. Yeah. So there's one guy left on this list who of guys who are on this year's ballot meriting more discussion. I think. Okay. Well, one, th- my shock that Bobby Abreu stayed on the ballot for a second year, but Kenny Lofton failed to stay on the ballot yeah, for a second Bobby year. Bobby Abreu's not a Hall of Famer. Well, and, and, and Kenny Lofton might be. That yeah, can... maybe, maybe. I mean, I, like, I don't think either one is. I, I You know, I, I've heard people that are voting for Bobby Abreu, and I'm like, you know, and I, I, and I like Bobby Abreu. I did. I mean, you know, we've discussed him in the past. He was a Tucson Toro. Um, you know, I have nothing against him, but he's just not a Hall of Fame player. Yeah. He's a good player. He was an all-star. Great, maybe he's a, maybe he's in a team Hall of Fame, but he's not a he's not a baseball Hall of Famer. Yeah. Kenny Lofton, just because I know you were curious, uh, yeah, stole six hundred and twenty two bases, six time All Star, four time Gold Glover, twenty four hundred and twenty eight hits, career two ninety nine wow. hitter. That's more than I would have guessed. Sixty eight point wow. four WAR. So for all of yeah. my caping up about Andrew Jones, he's a sixty two point seven career WAR. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that I would not have guessed he had that many hits. I would I would have missed on that. Um, oh, and Todd Helton career war sixty one point eight. So wow, yeah, wow. yeah, interesting. I, I feel like yeah. Kenny Lofton is one of those guys who, when it gets back around to him, like veterans committee type. Yeah, thing. that he's yeah. going to get a much longer look, especially if like one of his former yeah. managers is on there, or if Robbie yeah. Alomar is on there. 
yeah, as somebody who a, gets to pick. That's a thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. That's a that's a good point. Um, those some of those numbers surprised me a little, but uh, but okay. Who who else did you want to discuss? The guy who's still on the ballot, who he had a obviously off field because it happened this year uh, mm. issue. Oh gosh, yeah, Miskell. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. you know when if you want to talk about defense, it's hard. Oh gosh, not as good as it got. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's hard yeah, not to include I, him, and he did it for so long. Yeah, and yeah, I, you know, I'm very curious how he compares statistically to Ozzie Smith because I bet it's favorably. Probably so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's a he's a tricky one for me. I, let's say this: I would not vote against him based on the story that came out this year because I just don't believe in that. It's the same It's the same reason that I would vote for Kurt Schilling. I, you know, I know the Baseball Hall of Fame does have a sort of a character a aspect clause. of it. Yeah, and I just don't I don't I don't agree with that. Uh, Though they like did let pick. in a number of guys who are terrible people. Exactly. Starting with exactly. the first class. And, and that's <laughs> why I don't agree with it because I, I I don't think we should judge athletes based on their character because we don't really know their character. We like to think we do, but we don't. Uh, I mean, I, you know, our, uh, you know, our maker will decide our character when our lives are over. Let's just say that. I think we should just judge them based on what we saw in the baseball field. Um, and, and so, you know, I would, I don't know if I think Omar Vizquel is a Hall of Famer, but my opinion isn't changed by what came out this year. And, and now I'll, I'll be totally upfront. I didn't read the story. Yeah. Was it, was it, I mean, did you read it? Was it persuasive or was it just a lot of allegation? Right now it's a lot of allegation. Yeah. Okay. There, it's being investigated. It doesn't sound good. Yeah. But none yeah. of these stories sound, there's never a time where the they story comes out and you're like, oh, well, I don't, that, that's not that. What, what do you do? If, if what they said he did happened, it's bad. It's bad. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm always cautious of, of basing too much on allegation too, because you know, we have seen, and I'm not saying this is the case here, but we've seen it many times where somebody is accused of something and it comes out, they didn't actually do it. You know, it was, it was fabricated. Um, so I, I wouldn't weigh that in. I think it probably will be weighed in by, by people who actually vote mm-hmm. and will probably keep him out at least this year. Um, yeah. And to be clear, he's only at, uh, 40% right now. Is it real? Okay. I thought he's, he was closer. He's but, net um, lost a vote. So here's, yeah. this is to your point. He has gained seven votes from returning voters, but eight people who previously voted for him dumped him. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And okay. usually that doesn't happen. Like, uh, you know, no, you would when, the, when there are guys who are at a net negative, you know, we talked, I said shillings at a negative two. Yeah. It's one guy added three, took him away. Yeah, especially yeah. with, like, I don't think there's any great first-year candidates this year, are there? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, you're really besmirching Michael Kadire. <laughs> but, no, I mean, the, the is first... He, is the, he the biggest name, first-year guy? That, no, no, the biggest names are Burley, oh A.J. Burnett, Tim Hudson, Tory Hunter, Nick Swisher. But, I don't, but I don't, no, uh, of these Mark guys, Burley. Burley's maybe. got, so I'll go through. Burley has 13 votes. A.J. Burnett, okay. no votes. Kadire, no, no votes. Would, Heron, no votes. Latroy Hawkins, no votes. Hudson and Torrey Hunter, six votes each. Aramis okay. Ramirez got a vote. Swisher, none. That's Victorino, none. Barry Zito, none. Barry Zito, okay. 
Cy Young Award winner, I mean, number he had one in my heart of his career that would have been Hall of Fame, but he didn't have long enough tenure. And, yeah. You know, it, it, I I would that that vote dispersal sounds about right to me because I my thought is Burley, Hudson, and Hunter were the only three that I could even be I could entertain the case. Yeah, it, I, it, where we're at right now is Burley looks like he'll probably stay on the ballot because you need five okay. percent. Yeah, Hudson and Hunter, yeah. through very early public balloting, are just under five percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and like none of them, I would. There's certainly none I would, you know, pound the table and say these guys are Hall of Famers. Burley's probably the only one of the list that I thought, eh, maybe. Uh, you know, and and Tim Hudson did have a long, pretty good career. You know, I mean, he went to the Braves and was still pretty good after his peak in Oakland. Um. Well, the thing with Burley that a lot of people like and that I've seen is a lot of the defense of Burley because none of his, frankly, none of his numbers are wow. He's he's 214 and 160 with a 381 ERA, which for the time is fine. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. But between his age 22 season and his age 36 season, his final year in the league, he made at least 30 starts. Every year, wow, which Probably just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, you man. know, he he made 518 starts yeah, in his career, wow. and you just you know most guys don't do that. He if he might had won every game, he might have caught Cy Young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that might be. You know, we were talking about batting average, uh, like pitching wins might or, or just starts and wins and all those type of things, like. He might be a guy that, if he stays on the ballot, that eight years from now we're talking about like, wow, he's really made some gains. He's up to you know sixty five percent. He might get in because two hundred fourteen wins doesn't sound that impressive, but six, seven, eight years from now it might sound more impressive. And he's got the he's got the no hitter. He's perfect game, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, correct. Sorry, perfect game. Not that a perfect game alone should get you in. I mean, but you know. You know Five-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glover, and he took the ball every fifth day. And won the World Series with the White Sox, right? Yeah, that was the again, 05. You know, little, little, again, just a little boost to the resume. I don't, I try not to mark guys down for it in baseball, but, you know, you know, significant part of that World Series team uh, mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, wasn't the number five starter or anything. He was yeah. he was the ace, from what I recall. Yeah, well, and uh, in the ALCS, his, his one start, he threw a complete game shutout. Right, right, yeah. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry, a complete that, game, one run, one or nine. Okay, okay. I mean, he's one that really, over time, I, I could see him gaining traction, kind of like, you know, the, the Scott Rollins that we're talking about, where it's like initially pretty lukewarm, but the more you look at it, and the more you appreciate it, like, yeah, he could, he could be a sneaky candidate in the future. He's obviously not going to get in this year. No. But, I, you know, I mean, back to kind of, what we were talking about, like that is, a, that is an interesting dispersal of people dropping the scale because, you know, you could see it if there was maybe two or three great first year guys. Oh boy. You, you talk about Omar Vizquel and that you can't contain. He's fired our up. He's, fired. Look, look, he, he's, he's sat here long enough. Omar Vizquel played until he was 45 years old. And Archie wants you to put some respect behind that. Hey, I have plenty of respect for Omar Vizquel. Don't record with dogs in open windows, okay? That's it's just right. a terrible All idea. Right. We made it, what, an hour and ten minutes into this? So, yeah, I, yeah that's pretty good, actually. So, anyway, that 
that concludes my rant. My very pro Andre yeah. Jones. I, I respect it. Yeah, yeah. And, and what about was it the twenty sixth? They announced it. Did I hear that yeah. right? Yeah. So we'll we'll get our answer for this year soon, and probably it'll be another year that I shake my head and think, how is it possible that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are not in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Well, now that we're uh, now that we are including the Negro Leagues as major leagues, I'm very curious right. what the stat reworking because the Negro Leagues didn't. It's, there are some stats for some games, but it's not. There it's were, not great. It, yeah, but, I can't imagine it is. Yeah, but are we going yeah. to somehow see Hank Aaron reclaim his spot as the home run king? <laughs> He's only eight behind. That's true. Well. Most people have refused to acknowledge that Barry Bonds has more home runs anyway. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, they won't mind doing that. And, you know, again, like, uh, uh, if you don't want to like Barry Bonds, that's fine. I, I don't care. I, you know. Um, Many people but, don't. And, and that's fine. I get it. I totally get it. I wouldn't try to convince somebody that he was a great guy or, or did it everything 100% honest. But he's a great baseball player, and that, to me, should be the only – discussion um to say you know the same thing i'd say about Kurt Schilling i know he's a a lightning rod and i think he's a, a moron in, in, in a lot of the things he's done outside of baseball but i don't i don't just don't think that should factor in when it comes to making this call yeah oh but we'll see see if anybody gets in who was last year's class was it just cheater i believe so that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see if anybody else uh, joins him. I guess in July when they put the class in. So. Yeah, but we'll be back after having seen an ASU basketball game. Yes, hopefully too. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's not get greedy. One a month. <laughs> one a month is plenty for this team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we uh, we need to get to thirteen games played to be eligible for the tournament. We've got seven, right? So we probably are gonna have to win the next six. We're in decent shape, you know, to at least get to the minimum number played, but we need to start winning some to really make that matter. Yeah. Well, we'll be back to talk about it. Until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.